It's time to take the ice with the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders and say, that's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast. Now here's your host, Matt Trust. Alrighty, hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. I'm Matt Trust with you, the former media coordinator for the Hershey Bears Hockey Club as of about six or so weeks ago when I became one of the millions of Americans unfortunately laid off across the U.S. due to the COVID-19 global pandemic. So with extra free time on my hands and the return of sports, great to see the NHL back on the ice, so too is the NBA Major League Baseball. Why not create a brand new podcast where we can connect the hockey world even more? And before we get into this brand new podcast, I do want to take a moment and give thanks to all the men and women that are working tirelessly around the clock on the front lines and your backyard local medical facilities all across the country uh, to fight this pandemic and care for one another. Uh, hopefully it gets better soon. Hopefully a vaccine is made available as soon as possible. So pray to God we can get back to our daily lives as they were uh, before this pandemic reared its ugly head and unleashed its wrath across society. So want to give thanks to all those working around the clock on the front line. You are greatly appreciated by yours truly. And also, if you have lost a loved one during this pandemic, I want to take a moment and send you my deepest condolences. Now, on to this brand new podcast. What we're going to do here is each show, we will interview, laugh, and share stories with a guest from the professional hockey ranks. He or she could be a broadcaster, a PR director, a referee, a media member, or a hockey executive. And on the very first episode, I think it's only poetic to have on the radio play-by-play voice of the Hershey Bears, Mr. Zach Fish. Now, over the past four years, I went from being a snot-nosed intern working for Fish to a snot-nosed full-time colleague of Fish. We shared an office together, countless hotel rooms on the road, and honestly, I've probably spent more hours with Fishy in the last four years than I have with my parents or any family member for that matter in the last decade. Such is life when you work in pro hockey, you develop your work family in addition to your biological family. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Here's Zach Fish. So you and I, we have only known each other for four years but it really feels like a lot longer you talk about going oh, through hell and back together all the highs and lows uh four years but it's been action-packed well you uh can see my hairline it, it is partially aided by not only just being in sports but working with you for four years i think um oh, i'm to blame yeah. for that the hairline uh, just part of it. Uh, some of it might be natural. Some of it might be stress. Some of it might be sharing an office with you. But yeah, it's four years. Uh, it, it feels like longer. Obviously, been a big part uh, of my time in Hershey. 
you're here before me. Uh, technically, you're with the company before me as an intern as well. But, you know, you kind of, my first year coming in, as I'm sure we'll talk about, there's a lot of trial by fire in Hershey. And you being an intern the year before, there's a lot that you could help me with. But it's been an interesting four years. We've had our highs. We've had our lows. We've gone at it a few times here and there. But at the end of the day, I think we've got a good mutual respect for each other. And we both love what uh, we do. And it was a, a pleasure to work for four years, whether it seemed like an eternity or or just like a flash, uh, you know, it's certainly something that was was a lot of fun. Well, it's certainly a flash when you look at it, like probably one of the, the quickest four years of my life. But when you look at everything that happened in that four-year period, you think, how is that not a decade, you know, easily yeah. just with everything that went on? So with you, just for some background information, let's go back to... 2016 so your first year in Hershey was the 2016-17 season you were hired very shortly before the season started to be the the brand new play-by-play voice of the Hershey Bears coming from the South Carolina Stingrays the uh, ECHL affiliate for the Capitals and Hershey so you had already been in the organization you were relatively familiar with Hershey enough as it is and it just kind of made sense when there was an opening in Hershey just kind of bridged the gap and uh, you received that call up just like a player would. Yeah, it was an unbelievable interview experience. Um, you know, I, I think that it's probably fair to say that Hershey did their due diligence on, on some folks that had more experience either in the NHL or in the American League. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, the roads led down to me and with a, with a great recommendation from John Walton, the, the former voice of the Bears, now the great voice of the Capitals, been a really good mentor to me and helped open a lot of doors in my career. I made a good impression on him. And uh, thankfully, because of that, he really believes in helping out young broadcasters. I had thrown my name in the ring of many people being in the organization. I had worked with the Bears quite a bit. We had quite a bit of players coming up and down. There was a lot that had graduated from South Carolina, but I didn't really hear a lot. And the process just kind of went out. Of course, the summer is very busy uh, in Hershey with Hershey Entertainment Resorts with the park. Uh, now I know that uh, I didn't at the time. So I was going, I haven't heard anything, even a rejection letter. It'd be nice just to know that I, Hey, I got it or I'm in or I'm out. Uh, but it was, I think it was September that I got a chance to interview for the position on Skype. It was a great interview with seven or eight different people, uh, including Brian Helmer, including Gary Gallia, who I work with now, who's an awesome person to work with in the organization, many others who have become very close with. And I thought the interview went very well. Uh, it was a Skype interview. It lasted a little over an hour. I didn't tell my boss in South Carolina that it was going on uh, and kind of went and hit over at our arena and did the interview over my lunch break uh, and hoped that no one would know about it. He wound up being exceptionally supportive and I should have told him in the first place. But later that day, I had a call uh, asking me to come out in person, was able to come out in person to Hershey the following Tuesday and just a wonderful experience. They flew me in, um, met with Brian Helmer at Hands. We had lunch, toured me around the Giant Center. They're putting in the ice that day. Um, drove by Hershey Park Arena, drove by the park and uh, interviewed with a few other people and felt really confident leaving. It was a quick day because I flew back to Charleston later that day, uh, but had an offer the next day. Uh, my boss, my, my friends were overjoyed for me, but then it was the two-week scramble because the season started mid-October. It was a two-week scramble to put in notice with the Stingrays. They had to find somebody as well. Uh, on top of that, John Walton had invited me to do before I even was in consideration for the Hershey job in my native Kansas City, a preseason game with the Capitals there. So I'd already booked a flight out on October 6th to do that game. So I had that. And then on top of it, Hurricane Matthew hit. 
So I didn't get up to Hershey until Tuesday of the week we played on Friday in Rochester, um, just because of the way that everything went. And because of the transition, uh, the way that it was, there was quite a bit that had fallen in my lap, um, quite a bit I was not doing. I think people thought I was doing the website, I was doing social media, I was doing a lot of these things that were being done differently in the past. And a lot of people saying, why aren't you doing it this way? But it took a while, but I did take those duties back over. Uh, but yeah, I had to do game notes, packets and stuff like that in a two or three day span before we jumped to Rochester. But the trial by fire helped. You know, I listened back to myself in that first year. You know, you, get, you have to get better every year. And I certainly did. And um, you're just more comfortable when you've been in a building before, when you know the people you're working with, you know your team. It took me a bit to get there, but I wouldn't have done it any different. The expectations are extremely high in Hershey. And that's what makes it special. You know, I don't want to go an organization where they haven't had great broadcasters or the fans don't necessarily care. They don't listen. If I say something wrong, I don't want people scrutinizing me for it uh, because that's the expectations that's there. And, and I got to hold myself to that because there's been some very good guys in this position before, but it was certainly a hectic time. Uh, I look back on it and I'm glad that, that portion is over. Uh, but at the same time, it got me prepared to be here and, ultimately got me prepared for the rigors of whatever I'm thrown out on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's like a, a really good buddy of mine that I went to college with. Uh, he just accepted uh, and signed off on his first TV contract uh, to be on-air talent uh, to work in, uh, I'm not sure if it's news or sports. Uh, and for him, out of the 210 media markets in the country, he's in market 178. So it's very low on the totem pole, but it's your first job. And like I always yeah. tell him, you know, like, it's 75,000 households in that entire media market, which is not a lot. If you screw up, really no one's going to see it. No one's going to notice. And as a young professional, that's so important. That's so valuable where, you know, maybe necessarily you don't beat yourself up too much. You don't uh, receive as much criticism as a result when you're fresh and up and coming throughout the industry. But when you got to Hershey, you were what, 26 years old and in perhaps the premier minor league hockey market in the country I mean, there had to be some intimidation when you step into that I remember um my first game at the Giants Center we had played on the road and of course uh, we're going to get to the story about how game number one went here we wouldn't be on a podcast called that's hockey without game number one uh being the top story and I'm sure there's a lot of fun stuff we'll get to but that one is one I'll never forget and that. Uh, but I remember my first game at the Giant Center, and that was the first real moment that it hit me. October 22nd was just like, wow, look at this place. It was packed. I think we had over 10,000 that night, which is exceptional uh, in October anywhere in the minor league hockey world. And it was like, all right, you know, th this is a big deal here. And I think the biggest moment that my body realized that there was some nervousness there was not that game, but the first time that we did opening face-off, the first time that you and I did opening face-off, I was not nervous at all for it. At least I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel the butterflies, but I was sweating bullets, just sweating bullets. And I remember going after to our technical guys, holy cow, those lights are hot. Cause they got the lights on us up there, the left and right of us, trying to make us look uh, slightly less of faces for radio, at least for me. And there, I remember whoever it was running camera that day went up and put his hand on the light. And I looked at him and went, aren't your hand scorching? He goes, this is an LED light. This isn't even hot. Come touch it. So my 
easy excuse of the lights uh, got the best of me wasn't that and you were saying so much i still oh. remember i remember looking over at you and we this is like very beginning of you and i working together i look over at you it's like jesus christ you're about to flood my shoes here like good god and you and you sweat more than me too because <laughs> I mean, you have to run around the rink on a, you had to run around the rink a lot on a game day but you'd come up to the booth sometimes and i'd be like get this kid a freaking towel good I god know. you gotta you gotta run with scouts and media up here and you're dripping but that day my body showed some nervousness certainly just because you want to do a good job with it it was new you know we settled in i'd done on camera stuff before but you know what that's the joy of hershey and at the same time, I had a lot of people that uh, have been nothing but encouraging, positive. You know, you and I have talked about many times, you're not going to satisfy everybody. There's going to be naysayers. You know, no, I'm not John Walton. Uh, I'm not trying to fill his footsteps. Uh, I'm myself. I'm different. I, I tried to do too much of that my first year. If you go back and listen to my calls, particularly, I would say November to February. Um, you know, I was trying to yell because those guys just have big pronounced, the guys before me have big pronounced voices. And I just... I don't have that God-given deep, you know, that big voice, that big baritone voice there. And I was trying to compensate for it and be more excited by yelling. And that's never a good thing there. So you have to find what works for you. Uh, this year, five for me, whenever we get to it, you'll feel I have. But yeah, that was, that was really the only time that I can remember where I was like, shnikes, like maybe I'm a little bit nervous for something like this. And uh, there was no avoiding it. Troy Mann just gave it to me in the locker room. And Troy probably could go ahead and do a whole podcast of just Troy stories. I hope you have him on at some point uh, because he's a guy that will just chirp anything that moves as far as giving somebody a hard time. And I remember he had a towel sitting out for me down there and we did an interview the next day, like, take this upstairs. You might need it later, later tonight for your opening face off with trusty up there. And he usually gives it to Matt for his big wide ties. You've, you've fixed your fashion a little bit. Uh, I got to give you credit there, but you know, Troy, Mr. GQ over there would always give it to you for that, too. Oh, is that a tie or a bib? You should wipe your mouth with that thing. It's like classic, the classic oh. Troy Mann one-liners that, uh, you know, so my, uh, my first three years, yeah, so I was with the organization for five years total. Uh, the first three years as an intern were all Troy Mann years. And then uh, when I was hired as a full-time, that's when Spencer Carvey took over. And he was also tremendous to work with. I really oh, enjoyed yeah. working with Carbs. And you had the benefits of already knowing and already working with Carbs uh, in South Carolina. So, you know, it's a, a sport where there's just so many laughs and there's so many chirps and just like so many, uh, you know, lack of a better term, just ball busting. But like that's just a part of like what makes hockey hockey in a sense. How about, how about your introduction to being a full-timer though? You remember this? We we go to Wilkesbury for a preseason game and Matt, Matt comes with us. So Matt comes with us. Matt did a lot of the games, but normally you would ride in the car with Beaker and Brian Helmer. They come to close games. They come up in a corporate company SUV separate from the bus. There's just not enough space. And you guys like to get there a bit later. So you rode up in the SUV first preseason game, Wilkesbury started the 18, 19 season. Something happened where Beak had to take somebody back or he wanted to leave. Um, well, I'll tell you what. So yeah, well, let's hear from your yeah, side. Okay. So Penn State was playing Ohio State that okay. night. The same night, the Bears had a preseason game up I-81 in Wilkes. So me and Beaker, uh, and I'm not even sure if Helmer was with us. I, I think it was just me and Beaker, actually. We go up separate uh, in the company car so we could get there. So the team bus, if it's a 7 o'clock game, the team bus would leave around 
3, 3.15 the afternoon. Yeah, we get there 4.45. Yeah, yeah, if it's a game in uh, Lehigh or Wilkes, it's just a, a day trip. So the bus would leave around 3, 3.15. Me and Beaker would go up separately, and we would leave later on. So we would get up there for 6, 6.15, uh, just about an hour before a puck drop or so. So we get to the arena. Everything is normal, as so I think it's normal. It's my first game. It's my first game on no. the road. Um, and uh, We weren't broadcasting it, so it was just no. social media. We won the game. I think we blew them out. Um, oh, well, we, got, right. we got pumped. We lost. Oh, we got pumped? Okay. Uh, well, Jeremy Morin scored our only goal that night. So right. that, uh, Jeremy Morin. At least you said it right this time. You I know. That was uh, – <laughs> What was I, I was always saying? More massive in. loss from the past. Jeremy Moore. Okay, so we lose, we lose the game, and then normally I got my routine. I have this internal clock in my head. Like I know how much time that I have because our post game show is pretty long. We didn't have one that day, but I know how much time I have to get down to the bus. I've never missed the bus as far as leaving in hockey. Um, and there's a story for that too in baseball. But you know, I've never missed the bus leaving hockey. I, I get down there. I'm waiting. I get on the bus. So you didn't come on the bus. So nobody's expecting you to come on right. the bus. And the, from perspective of me, you know, I got a missed call on my phone. I look, it's, uh, it's from you. I call you back and we're pulling out of the Mohegan Sun Arena. And you're like, Hey, apparently I'm supposed to go on the bus. Yeah. I'm like the bus is leap. We're, we're gone. We left. We're out of the arena. We pulled away. So you're like, Oh shoot. And you, you called beak, I guess. Beak called Ronnie, the bus driver. And I just hear Ronnie answer the phone. And Ronnie's a beauty. Our bus driver is one of the best guys you'll ever find. Hilarious. We, you got to have him on this thing, too. My God, good thing you're not on terrestrial radio. FCC violations left and right with this guy. But he's unbelievable. Safe driver, great driver. Here, man, answer the phone. Hey, Beak, what's up? Matt? Who the is Matt? Who the F is Matt? And then he hangs up and goes, Carbs, we got to turn around. We got to get some F and Matt guy. And Carbs turns back, looks at me, Matt's coming with us? You know, just it is his whimsical look just surprised him. Like, not to my knowledge. Yeah. So, so sure enough, game number one, Matt Truss had so to get picked back up. My stuff, I just packed up all my stuff uh, from the, the makeshift Mohegan Sun Arena press box, which is pretty Able. much uh, like on the concourse, center ice, uh, just on top, of a, on top of a section. And Beaker calls me and says, hey, you're going to go on the bus for the ride back. And I'm like, okay, cool, awesome, sounds good. Within two minutes, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much down there. And as soon as I get to the door, I just see the bus leave. So I call you immediately because you had no idea that I was going to go on the bus. So I called you and, you know, like you can't talk on the cell phone when you're on the bus. So he just, you send me the voicemail and I text you and I'm like, uh, I'm supposed to apparently be on the bus. Meanwhile, I'm calling Beaker and I'm like, Beak, the bus left without me. He goes, no. Like, yeah, dude. The bus just left. Meanwhile, like, if I just speculate by now, Beak is about 35 miles down the interstate because he wants to get back to the fourth quarter uh, of that PSU game. And you are, like, so – you're confused. I'm confused. I'm so embarrassed. I remember the bus comes back. I step onto the bus. I have my head down, and I'm just thinking, nobody even say a goddamn word to me. Nobody talk to me. Nobody say a word. I look up out of the corner of my eye. I see Patrick Weller with the biggest smirk on his face just that like that wide grin that Wellesley would have oh and, yeah and, and I'm just thinking don't even talk to me because like and you know so that's my first that's my first ever 
game on the road. And, you know, like for me and in sports in general, first impressions are everything, right? You always want to make a really good first impression, uh, first impression, training camp, new coaching staff, first time on the road. And the bus leaves without you. And I'm thinking, I'm done. I'm buried. Like, that's it. Like, I'm screwed. My reputation oh. is, is garbage now. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the start. I remember you just kind of pulled into your seat behind me, put your big headphones on, and didn't say a word the rest of the way. And, of course, Josh and Dylan, our equipment managers, who are about the quickest people on their feet ever, had some great prank wars with those guys. They they, they Dylan, particularly. Dylan Philippus keeps things exceptionally light. He's an unbelievable dude great at his job him and josh are unbelievable they run a great ship but they will uh, they will keep you on your toes and if something like that happens they know about it they're going to get you so i think when we got back to unload equipment that night you got it pretty good from those guys but nobody said anything on the bus that it was kind of it was your it was your right of passage the introduction something always has to happen uh, like that but well you, you had yours you know like you yeah. your first game in rochester yeah calling it through his cell phone. There's something about, I always feel like from a broadcaster perspective, there's always something about the first game you do at a brand new gig where just shit hits the fan. Something happens yeah. and it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't go to plan. I have several stories and one will take us out of saying that's hockey to, to baseball, but I'll get to that in a minute. So first game Hershey, right? So I mentioned, I start on Tuesday. I'm up till 2, 3 a.m. all that week getting everything ready to go. I feel confident about our rosters. Like I said, I'm in the organization. You know, Vitek Vanacek has moved up. Um, Joey Leach was not on our roster at that point, but had been in training camp. Several other players had been in training camp. I'm monitoring all summer who's being signed, trying to project the Stingrays roster at that point. So I'm familiar with everybody from being in the organization. So I'm not worried about going in and being like, who's Brad Malone or who's Jakob Verana? You know, I, I knew our team. Um, going into it, I was trying to learn Rochester and get comfortable. And the biggest thing, like the morning of the game is when I got all the reads for the radio station. So every advertisement, I didn't have it. Every ad that I have to read for our great partners, like, you know, Leitzel's Jewelry or uh, our good friends at Bokeh Mulligan DeMeo. But there's no pronunciation guide for any of this. And as we know, Central PA, if you're not from here, and I should have taken more time investing in this, but there's Lebanon, there's Lancaster. So I botched those. Uh, week number one for sure I'm sure that was a great introduction for people like it's not Lebanon remember a fan telling me that and I was so thankful they did and right after my second game because I'm like great now I know I can can work on those things but you don't think about that type of stuff but we get into Rochester in the morning I interviewed Riley Barber um you know I knew Barb's a little he had played in Dubuque before me but I'd done some interviews with him as an alumni so I interviewed Barb's that went well. And I went up to the Blue Cross Arena press box and I set up all of my gear that morning, got permission to do it, set it all up. I was familiar with the gear. I had used the gear in college. It's not like it was foreign to me. Hit the button. We were connected, did a test at 1030 in the morning with our radio stations, both WQIC and Fox Sports 1460. Did the test. We were good to go. We leave the rank after the morning skate. I get back four o'clock. I go up immediately, hit connect, it's tested. I call up Art, our producer. Yeah, hear you loud and clear. Sounds great. I'm doing my pregame notes. And uh, I get a call from Beaker. Beaker's always involved in these, eh? So Beaker calls me and goes, hey, Fishy, we want to uh, do a picture of all the new guys. We had a huge new staff that year. Me, Reed Cashman was a new assistant coach. Um, who else did we have? Murphy Luatua was just starting as our athletic trainer. Uh, Josh Tua, as we called him. Josh Famulero, who's now at the Tampa Bay Lightning, assistant equipment manager. Mike Wagner, a bunch of new people. 
And Beep wanted to get a picture of all of us on the bench for our first game. Hey, homie, I want you to come down 15 minutes, get a picture. All right, sounds good, Beep. So I'm working, and I look down at my gear right before I go to leave. And it says, you know, not connected. I'm like, wait a second, what? I hit the connect button. It connects again, so I leave. I'm like, all right, must have just been something. A little flash in the pan, we're good. I go down, I get the picture taken. The bench wasn't available. Beak's a little pissed off about it, but we take a picture in the hall. I go back up, gear's not connected again. Hit connect, doesn't connect. It's 5.30, 5.45 at that point. 7.05 game with introductions. We got to be on the air about 6.40. Like, all right, we got time to figure this out. Reboot the gear, do everything that I know. Won't go on. I call their broadcaster, Don Stevens. I can't get on the internet either. Don's been doing this forever. He's the godfather of the American Hockey League. You know, he's a, he's a guy of bigger stature, but he's red as a tomato, pissed as you can be, red in the face. I hate opening night. Something's wrong. My stuff won't get on. I'm so sorry about this. I'm like, Don, it's 6 o'clock. I don't have to be on the air for 40 minutes. We'll be okay. We just got to get it figured out. IT guy comes over, has no idea what's going on. I get a call from Beak, 6'10 at that point. Hey, homie, can you come back down? The bench is available now. I want to get that picture. And I'm like, I got to get this figured out. But he wants to pick. So I run down there. We get the picture taken. And I'll send it to you so you can put it on the screen here when you edit this thing up. The picture gets taken. Beak makes into a plaque. It's in my office still at the Giant Center. We got the puck from the first game, picture of all of us on the bench. Everybody is all smiles except me. I look just miserable. I look miserable in this photo because I'm in the back of my head going, I got my first broadcast. I'm on the air in 25 minutes. I'm down here taking a picture, and it's not working, and they've acknowledged there's problems. What the hell am I going to do? So I run back upstairs. They can't get it figured out. So I call the station. Like, here's our options. You guys can get the AHL, what was it then, HL Live feed, or I can call on my cell phone. They didn't even know how to do calling it on the cell phone. That was such old technology then they had to figure it out. But we go on the air, and I'm like, we're going to do it on the cell phone. I'm not missing the broadcast for my first game. I don't care if it sounds like garbage. As long as people can hear it and hear the game, that's most important. We are getting on the air. That's what you have to do as a broadcaster. Stuff doesn't go right. You get on the air. So I call in. I have an old iPhone. So I'm holding it up like this, and uh, I'm looking down, and my producer, the only way he could communicate with me, I couldn't hear him, was via Facebook chat. I don't even use Facebook when I don't have to. And he's typing, go, go, you're on. So I, welcome to the Blue Cross Arena, Hershey Bear. And then I look down, call ended. The call dropped. And I'm like, so I'm on the air. So I call back. He cues it up again. There goes the intro again, 645, 650 at this point. We do the game. We get through the game. We lost five to four. Joe Kanata stopped, uh, faced 12 shots. He gave up five goals. Not a good start to Joe Kanata's tenure as a Hershey Bear. Didn't last long. Should have known from that one. Jacob Rana scored two goals. We got through the broadcast. It was damn near impossible. But uh, I remember, I think it was John Lawn, who, of course, is the head of Hershey now, um, sent me a message. Or I saw him at the team picture the next week and said, hey, I know your first game didn't go the way you wanted it to, but hell of a job getting on the air. That's all that matters. You're on the air. We had the game. We met our contractual obligation. Our fans could hear it. And if anything, it's a great story to tell. So we made it through game number one. But I'll keep this one quick. It's not even my worst first game. Like you said, like first games always are terrible for whatever reason. So just quickly in Dubuque, we played an exhibition game called the Backwards Game, my first game. This gimmicky promotion that we did. Dan Lev, our boss, was super into gimmicky stuff. And it worked because we got 1,500 people for an exhibition game that normally no one would come to. But we literally did a shootout first. Overtime, five-minute overtime, third period, second period, first period. 
introductions and it was it was a game backwards it was why would we do it i don't know because we could um so because it's minor league figure, oh minor league sports it's fine so he came from minor league baseball as a minor league baseball idea and it was a scrimmage technically not even a real game that went down on the roster we were playing a north american league team when i was in the ushl so i have to think people think and listen to me first game on the air going the game just started what is this guy talking about being in overtime he doesn't know what he's doing so that one was unique but my worst one 2011 i was a voice of the rochester honkers that's a real team name northwoods league baseball summer Woodback collegiate league if you're familiar with the cape cod league it's the midwest version of that three guys from my team are in the major leagues now most notably tony kemp who plays for the Houston Athletics, um, but, or excuse me, he plays for the Oakland Athletics, played for Houston before that. But he, uh, you know, I go to this team, first game we're in Mankato, and it was very similar where the players all came in the morning of the first game. We had enough guys to field the roster. College seasons were still going, so not everybody was there yet. Met the manager the morning of the first game. We all hopped on the bus together. We go to Mankato, Minnesota to play the first game, about a three-hour drive. We get there. The phone line wasn't activated. This is back before internet connections. Phone line wasn't activated. Gear doesn't work. Guess who calls the game from his cell phone? Five years before I'd be in Hershey, I had the same exact experience calling the first game from a cell phone. We lost that one too. And sure as shit, I get down there and the bus is nowhere to be found. I go, excuse me, where's the Rochester bus? Yeah, they left about 10 minutes ago. I call my boss who wasn't on the bus. I say, hey, I don't have anyone's number. I met these people 10 minutes before we got on the bus. Like, they, I, I, they left me. Like, I got down. I had a 10-minute post-game show. I got down within 15 minutes at most. Plenty of time that you told me to get down, and I think they just forgot. So he calls the bus. The bus turns around and comes back and gets me. They're hooting and hollering. The manager feels awful. He was in charge of making sure everyone was there because we're all new. He apologizes profusely. I don't think I ever bought another drink on the road with that manager from there on out, he and I became really close, but that was uh, actually worse. At least the bus, uh, I was on the bus going from Rochester to Binghamton after that first game, but certainly made a memorable game. Number one, was it the impression I wanted to make? No, I wanted us to win. I wanted me to, you know, I want to have a great call. I wanted everyone to be impressed and Hey, the new guy, uh, he's going to take some getting used to, but he sounded pretty good. And we just didn't get that. But at the end of the day, we were on the air and that's all that matters. The show has to go on technical difficulties or not. And that game, in Rochester. So your first game uh, as the voice of the Bears in in 16. I remember listening to that game and that was so we actually did not meet yet. So that was about a week, maybe a week and a half before we actually met for the first time. Uh, So that game, I was actually fall 2016 was my official semester. Um, where I would actually get academic credit. I was at the time, it was my junior year of college. Uh, I was one of Greg Mace's interns uh, for that semester, the late great Greg Mace. And it was a Friday night high school internship. Uh, but I was feeling a bit under the weather. So what Greg had me do is I still wanted to come in. He said, all right, I'm going to go out and go to this high school football game and shoot highlights. The Bears game is on. You sit at my desk here listen to uh, the broadcast and log anything uh, on the sheet of paper that you think is notable. I mean, obviously more than just goals and penalties, but anything that we might have to go into the highlights and actually pull for the 11 o'clock news, just make sure you log everything. Like, okay, awesome. Sounds good. So Greg goes off 
to do uh, the high school football game and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the broadcast done on a cell phone and I'm just thinking, oh dear God, this is, <laughs> this is our new voice, the Bears, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> people are probably like, this guy can't set up the gear. Uh, yeah, and I, I get it. I get what people thought. It was, it, it was about the worst first impression ever, but the next day in Binghamton, I remember getting there and Grady Wittenberg is no longer the, the voice of Binghamton hockey, but a great guy, really good broadcaster, you know, still a friend. He still fills in for the Capitals, um, you know, when John Walton is out. Um, just because of our schedule, I've done one game, but Grady's their primary filling guy, and rightfully so. He deserves a gig. He's awesome at what he does uh, and one of the best in the business. And he gets there the next day and goes, so a little trial by fire. I can promise you everything's going to work just fine here. I would never want my first game to be that way. So gave me a nice pat on the back and said, settle in. It's all going to be okay. I think we got shut out that game. We started 0-2. Thank goodness we came back to the Giants Center the next week. And that's the thing is we're so spoiled, and you know it, Matt, like, our fans don't get to see the press box and the connections up there. We're so spoiled at the Giant Center, and our crew does such a good job between the union guys and great save. Like, nothing ever goes wrong, and knock on wood, but nothing ever goes wrong with our AHL streaming, with the broadcasts, all that stuff, because those guys are so on top of it, and there's checks and there's procedures. You're at the mercy of every other building. The cord doesn't work. But the funny thing about it was, as little did I know, and this is just a product of, you know, not being a – an easy transition when the person before you was unfortunately let go, um, you know, gear was spread out. So there is an adapter that would have allowed me to connect to the hotspot on my phone, which I have, or wireless internet in the building that we have that is in my kit now. So I have had to connect to that Bridgeport, their wired internet went out this year. So we used it from the hotspot on my phone. I did a whole game there with you in Bridgeport that way this past year. I didn't know we had it. It wasn't in the gear bag that I was given the day before we left for the bus. Uh, it was up in my press box, and I found it six months later. Uh, so that would have saved us uh, there, unfortunately. We now have many other procedures, so that never happens again for our fans. Uh, but you know, I take a lot of pride in that stuff between HLTV checks, making sure our audio sounds good. Not everybody does that in the league, but so many people watch these days that you have to make sure it sounds good. But you know, I've had some wacky stories in the booth. I had my gear catch on fire once uh, when I was doing baseball in that same Northwoods League. Uh, game in Alexandria Minnesota I just had a flame shoot up out of my gear the press box was on the field and water had gotten in rain delay and it was just like a cartoon the spark went up the wall and then popped and sure enough ran down to my power strip and a flame shot out of my gear knocked me off the air so anything can happen when you're on the broadcast um, you know I've had a guy behind me in South Carolina yelling profanities and trying to censor that on the air it's just it's a little bit of everything as far as that goes. It's always unpredictable, but it's a thrill, the best job in the world. And, you know, I'm glad that uh, game number one was wonky, but after that we've, we've settled in and it's a lot, a lot better on a technical side now. It's crazy how much when you really think about it, the, um, the American Hockey League broadcasters just from five years ago to now, how much it's changed where there was really a, a group of, a good amount of seasoned veterans in the A, uh, play-by-play voices that most um, are unfortunately no longer there for one reason or another. Uh, you mentioned Grady Wittenberg, the former voice of uh, the Binghamton Senators before they became the Binghamton Devils. Um, in Hartford, uh, Hawk Crawford, he's still there. You mentioned Don Stevens in Rochester. Uh, you know John Walton and Scott Stuccio. I mean, those are two voices that spent 
uh, a very long time in the American Hockey League. It's really cool to see, I guess, over time, uh, the league get a lot younger from a broadcast perspective. If you look at uh, just so many young, talented broadcasters like uh, Rob Lapolis in Binghamton, uh, Ryan Smith uh, in Springfield, Allen in Bridgeport, it's really a, a, an impressive young league, and so many of those broadcasters have come from whether the uh, the ECHL, the USHL, some even the null. Uh, Tony Brown in Cleveland, he's another one. So when it comes to you, only one year in South Carolina in the ECHL, but he did spend three years in the USHL. What is it about those leagues right now that you think is really just establishing and producing so many young but high-quality broadcasters that are moving quite quickly up the ranks? Yeah, it's fun getting to work with these guys in these different levels and players too. Like I look at, uh, you know, USHL, Bobby Nardella was in the USHL when I was. wasn't on my team, but uh, got to call his games when he was in the USHL. Um, Riley Barber was playing college hockey when I was in college. So there's a number of guys that I've gotten to see go through the ranks and kind of travel with them, whether they're broadcasters or players. And that's kind of fun. But the USHL, I was there for three years in Dubuque. If you know where Dubuque is on a map, power to you. I sure as heck didn't when I took the job there. But won a championship there, met my wife there, spent three wonderful years there. It's become a second home to me. Uh, in a lot of ways, and still visit there pretty much every summer. Love it. Um, but I made $18,000 my first year in Dubuque. I was in charge of a lot more than I am in Hershey, and it really molded me into being a better employee and a better broadcaster and juggling everything. I did sales, season ticket, uh, as well as sponsorship. I ran our website. I was in charge of anything that went on the website, not just putting a story about the game, anything that had to be made to the website, I had to get on there. I was in charge of our social media. It wasn't as big at the time, and I'm glad that I'm not the day-to-day -day guy on social media, except in times of a pandemic. But, you know, that's gotten bigger and better than it's ever been before. Um, you know, when I ran our social media there, I did uh, all of our PR, all of our media, a lot of our marketing, I worked hand-in-hand -hand with folks on. So I did quite a bit, and I ran our school program three mornings a week. Uh, most weeks I was at a local elementary school teaching them about uh, empathy and hockey and being a kind, caring person. And then they'd come out to our games and purchase tickets. So I didn't have a lot of time to get ready to broadcast. So I had to find a way to be a good broadcaster in addition to doing all that. And that level of hockey, a lot of those guys go on to play in the American Hockey League in the NHL. We hosted the top prospects game in Dubuque in 2015. Uh, Brock Besser, uh, Vancouver Canucks played in that game. Kyle Connor, who plays for the Winnipeg Jets, played in that game among others that have played in the National Hockey League. So there's marquee guys coming through that league that are NHL mainstays, and you're seeing them at 16 years old. So they're developing, you're developing, but you become so well-rounded that you're a jack-of-all-trades that when an ECHL team is looking for a job and they go, hey, we want someone to not only broadcast, we want someone to run social media. Well, I did that and this, this, and this. If you ever need help with sales, I can do that too. Well, boom, this guy did all that. Bring him in. So that's where I think it comes down to. A lot of good guys have come through the ranks. You mentioned Tony Brown in Cleveland, who's a, a great broadcaster. He was in the North American Hockey League, the USHL, the ECHL for a year, and then the American League. He's been in Cleveland since they unfortunately beat the Bears in the finals in 2016. Um, but, you know, you look at Alan Furing, who's in Bridgeport, really good friend of mine, great broadcaster. He spent a year in the SPHL uh, outside of the Federal League. That's about as low as you can go in professional hockey. 
you have to pay your dues and climb the ranks. I think a lot of people coming out of college don't get this, but if you're a good hockey player, you can go right to the NHL at 18 or 24, whatever, if you're getting out of college. Um, if you're a good broadcaster, if you're really good, you get a job in the American League right out of school. Very rare, though. Very few guys have done that. Very rare. Uh, a lot of guys, I think, think they can step right into that and just simply doesn't happen except in rare cases. Um, and a lot of times you have to work in other positions before you become it. Like Nick Hart and Wilkesbury was the PR guy before he became the broadcaster for a handful of years. So, man, I, I had fun in Dubuque. Um, I got to learn from Jim Montgomery there. He was our head coach, former Bear, uh, former head coach with the Dallas Stars. Uh, sounds like he's doing a, a lot better, ran into some issues there. Had a chance to be on a, a team reunion with our 2013 championship team with Monty, and he was his usual self. You want to talk about a guy that would crack some one-liners. He was it. Funny guy, kept you on your toes. I wasn't sharp back then. Um, they called me Tuna. And the reason I got called Tuna was because he was wasting time trying to come up with a nickname for me so they could try to shoe check me which of course shoot check if you don't know, I mean, Matt knows, but anyone that's listening, you know, you're eating a team dinner or whatever, unbeknownst to you, someone comes up and puts something on your shoe and then everybody clinks their glasses. Like you're at a wedding, everybody looks at their shoes and you go, Oh no, it's me. And you usually have to do something embarrassing, like get up in front of the whole restaurant and sing. So Monty decided they needed a nickname for me and he's sitting there rattling off suggestions. And next thing I know, clink, clink, clink. I look down. I don't have anything on my shoes. Everyone's like, fish, check your shoes. There's a big pile of ketchup like this, this high sitting on the ground next to my shoe. It either fell off my shoe or the guy missed whoever it was. I never heard what player it was. It was a so failed shoe check. Yeah. Failed wow. shoe check. So I didn't have to sing luckily, but uh, you know, Monty was, was great to work with, but I learned a lot in Dubuque. I was coming from St. Cloud state where I had an awesome four years but I worked for the college radio station and I didn't quite yet know that line where you're working for the team. You're not working for an independent radio station um, where they, people don't want you to be Skip Bayless if you're working for the team. They don't want these opinions as far as these far out type of things. And when I was in college, we'd sit there and be like, oh, they should play this guy or oh, this guy needs to give more effort or whatever. Just like you listen to if you listen to sports talk radio, there's guys, columnists that are paid to do that. You're working for the team. That's not your gig. So I was still learning that. So there was a time, I think it was November. It was early in my tenure um, that Monty had pulled the goalie in a game that we were up two by. And he wasn't having a good night, but I thought it was the type of game that he could battle through it. And Monty was supposed to come up after the games and do an interview. And he just forgot that day. It was early in the season. He had forgot. He wasn't in the routine. It was new. It's a contractual element. So I didn't get to ask him about it, but it got wind that I was a little critical of it. And he called me in with my president and is like, Hey, I want to show you something. I said, is this about the goalie? And he said, yeah. I said, I, I listened back to it already. Like I thought I was a little bit much. And he said, well, Hey, I give you a lot of credit that you heard that because it was brought to my attention. And it was explained to me, like, hey, this is, you're questioning your coach. Like, if you want to question me after it, I will tell you why I did it anytime. But you came off as a little bit too much on there. It was a good learning lesson for me. Now, did I get chirped for it the rest of the year? Absolutely. Anytime, uh, you know, we were on the road, he'd remind me, oh, you know, just make a joke about it. But I remember sending him an email uh, right after I started in Hershey. He was at Denver at the time where he won a national championship and just said, hey, like, thanks for that. I'm in Hershey. This is an unbelievable spot. I know people here that know you, but had you not 
pounded in my head what it meant to be a part of the team as a broadcaster, I wouldn't have known uh, what it took to get there. And even then, like, we had a guy on our team that played for five different USHL teams, I think it was. And I said something like in an auction, we did Jersey auctions. I used to run them, not Jonesy. I used to do them. And we did a Jersey auction. I said, oh, he's played in Lincoln. He's played in Sioux Falls. He's played in Waterloo, whatever. But now he's in Dubuque and we're glad we're on. He's on our side. I was just trying to pump the guy up, you know, but it came off to this player. It was a little sensitive that I was like calling him a journeyman. So that was another one where I had to learn the lesson a little bit of just like, you have to be careful with your words and, and with guys and, and pros Again, these guys are 16 to 20, so they're younger. Um, you treat them a little bit different than in the pros. They're used to that stuff. No one, if Jim Jones said that today, no one would bat an eyelash, but he was a younger kid and, and he took it the wrong way. So I learned a lot of lessons there in my first season with Monty, but I just got better every year in Dubuque as a person, as a broadcaster, as an adult, as a professional. Um, and it was good hockey. It was a lot of fun. Um, I got to go to Russia. I haven't even talked about that. I got to go to Russia. Uh, in my year in Dubuque, and uh, that was an experience. We played in Moscow. Uh, I'll never forget uh, one night we went out in the Red Square, and uh, we got a cab, and we made it there alive in one piece, which was great. And sure enough, we pull in. Uh, cab pulls into the left of us. Cab pulls into the right of us. And the cab that pulled into the left and the right of us, the cab drivers get out between our cab and start yelling at each other. And I'm like, oh, God, what is this all about? And sure you wouldn't if you wouldn't believe if you weren't there these guys start yelling at each other we're just getting out of our cab staring they just they drop the gloves and go toe to toe right there in the middle of everybody everybody's sitting there looking they exchange five six blows each and someone else breaks them up and they go their separate ways get back in their cabs back out just pat each other other on the back you know good job homie and you know go on your way that that's like the legendary story of dan beaker stuck breaking up a goalie fight yeah in providence back in the day like that that right who else, yeah. you know? Center ice, you know, no one was left on the ice, and the goalies duke it out, and beat her, pat him on the head, and said, get out of here. I think Good job, homie, back to your room. Yeah, get back in there, homie. So, yeah, it was that was bizarre, but we got to do a lot of cool stuff uh, in Russia. We played in Omsk uh, with this gorgeous arena that is actually was like four years old at the time. It was unbelievably nice where their KHL team plays. And I remember saying to Samsonov, once he learned a little Russian, or English, excuse me, uh, and, and we got to know him a little bit better. And you know, I said, oh, I've been to Omsk, great arena. He said, Omsk, terrible. Like, terrible. It's a brand new, nice arena. Come to find out, and I found out later, Omsk's arena where we went, there was this gorgeous facility, uh, had 95% structural defects in the building, and they had to demolish it wow. two years after I was there. So that thing could have collapsed while I was calling a game. But I got to call games there. We won a bronze medal in this tournament. Um, we had a PR guy that spoke English and Russian with us. And he took us to a radio station to do an interview with some of the players and help translate for it. And we get there and we're walking through this decimated area of Omsk. It's dirty, it's dark, it's depressing. And we walk up these stairs and they're caked in dirt and mud. And then we push a button and they buzz us in. And it's this beautiful penthouse suite on the top level where this radio station is, uh, as nice as our iHeart stations here. And we go in there and the, the radio hosts just have things of vodka out. And they start offering it to us. And I'm like, no, 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 these guys are 16 years old. They can't, they can't drink. Uh, these are young people. No, 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 no alcohol for us. Our translator takes the shot and, and translates the interview for it. But, you know, they were asking about, oh, what do you think about Russian girls? What do you think about Russian culture and stuff like that? So we had a lot of fun on that trip. But you mentioned Shuchek, one more story from Russia. We had a player named Blake Hillman. He actually played in the NHL for Chicago a little bit. 
Uh, he's been in the American League some. I think he's in the coast this past year. But uh, he got shoe checked while we were taking a walking tour of Moscow. And we had a Russian TV station there filming a documentary with us. I don't know what the documentary was. I've never seen it. Again, our PR guy from Russia set it up. But uh, Blake, Schumann, uh, Blake Hillman gets shoe checked with a jelly bean on his shoe. Our smallest player, Jared Privatera, sneaks up behind him, drops it on his shoe. Hey, shoe check. So we're in, I think, the, the Kremlin area, and there happened to be a stage where they have outdoor concerts. And thank God there wasn't like a guard or something around, but this Blake Hillman climbs up on the stage, uh, just without permission, gets up there. And the song that he sung, he had to sing a song, was uh, I think it was Miley Cyrus, Can't Stop. That was popular at the time. So he's up there singing that. And I remember him coming down and the Russian TV station was so confused as to what had just went on. They're like, why did you just climb up on that stage and just start singing that song? And he tried to explain it. It didn't translate, but it was a moment where we were all in stitches. So you're talking about my shoe check there. What what do you think was better? My shoe check or, or his? Your shoe check was classic. His, I mean, we also had big American flags on the back of our polo shirts our boss in Dubuque was a little concerned they were too big. Political climate was different then, um, certainly. So we weren't worried about it as much. But, like, I don't know. I almost had, like, a big target on our backs walking around there. And this guy's climbing up the stage doing this song. But your shoes check story is is pretty good. That was with Manor, right? That was uh, right. That was with Troy when he came back with Belleville. Right. Uh, that was two, would have been two seasons ago. His yeah. First so it yeah. was 18-19. And that was uh, so – uh, before Hershey, and, and thank God they did, they eventually, uh, last year, they canned uh, the Super Bowl Sunday game. I always hated it. I, I just can't, like, just I want that day to be about football and nothing else, honestly. Even though, like, even though hockey is a religion for me, like, it, everybody cares about one thing and one thing only on Super Bowl Sunday. Just leave it at that. And, you know, once uh, finally attendance started to sink, they said, okay, well, you know, we're the only team playing on Super Bowl Sunday in the American Hockey League. So they finally last season got rid of it. So it was the last Super Bowl Sunday game, 18-19, uh, and it's against Belleville at Giant Center. First, uh, first time Troy Mann uh, is coaching against the Bears at Giant Center. So it's like his homecoming in a sense. Uh, after the game, so it was set up, uh, they rented uh, a back room at a restaurant in Hummelstown after the game where the Belleville staff uh, could watch uh, the Super Bowl. And uh, so it was set up by like Troy and Brian Helmer since the two of them are buddies. And uh, you and I got the invite to it. So uh, you and I went um, and uh, Jonesy popped in as well. Uh, Josh and Dylan, uh, our equipment guys. So it was uh, most of Belleville's staff and, um, and just, a few of a few of us a few of uh of our guys Belleville I guess their players were doing their own thing players and staff they kind of go their separate ways and I think they went to YP they they went what well, wasn't pizza. didn't Bergie so Bergie played for Bergie Belleville. was in Belleville yeah, yeah so, so Bergie knew the spots a little bit yeah, yeah exactly so um we're in the back room honestly like it's just nothing but like social hour for all of us the game's on but nobody really gives I don't even remember who was in about that. the game. Honestly, no one cared about the game. It was just a, a fun social event for all of us. So the evening progresses and, you know, we all have uh, quite a few drinks in us. And uh, 
Next thing you know, I just hear uh, glasses start clinging like they oh. do at a wedding reception to get the bride and groom to kiss. So the glasses start clinging and I hear people yelling, shoot check, shoot check. And again, rookie season for me yeah. as a full-timer working in pro hockey, I have no idea what the hell is happening. Everyone's yelling, check your shoes. So I look down, I check my shoe and there is a, a big slab of butter on my shoe. And I'm like, okay, so what does this mean? What do I have to do? Well, you have to get up on a chair and sing. And Troy Mann is like, yeah, get up there. He's like grabbing me by the shirt. Like, get up on this chair. And I'm like, what do I sing? He goes, sing a Michael Buble song. I guess Manor Loves is Michael Buble for whatever reason. That, you, that, you wouldn't know it. But You uh, like Coldplay. He likes uh, Maroon 5. You guys have great taste in music. Exactly. So he, he wanted me to, to do some, like, some Buble song. It's like, I don't know a Buble song. So I'm like, can, can I do like, oh, Canada or something? And they go, yeah, sure. Why not? So I get up on the chair. I sing Oh Canada. It was awful, but you know, I powered my way through it. Wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I like, think Ryan Murphy said to me after, because another former Bears sister, he was also there. He said, That's better than we heard in Binghamton a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they get people that don't necessarily know how to sing it coming down because they don't have to sing it much. Not many Canadian teams. So it it really was it was a good effort. It was a really good effort on your part. You put your heart into it. There's a video of it out there somewhere. Maybe someday you'll put that out there. But uh, uh, yeah, Man Manor was into it, uh, but you put your whole heart into it. It was great. And I don't know who shoe checked you, but I, I have my suspicions that it was certainly one of the pranksters. Uh, from yeah, the locker room either, either Josh or Dylan for sure, I think. Uh, you know, and, and I was disappointed because, like, you, you should – you got to do it. Like, if, if you're shoe-checked, it's all about, like – I look at it as, like, street cred, right? Like, yeah. you, you earn street cred if it's like, all right, I don't care. I'm in a public place. I'm going to get up on a chair and start singing because, you know what? Like, it, it goes along with the name of this freaking show. That's hockey, you know? Like, yeah, that's just kind is. of what it is. Um, that's hockey to its finest right there. I mean, uh, I remember a guy getting up at an Outback Steakhouse in, in when we were with Dubuque on the road. I think we are in Lincoln, Nebraska. And – he knew he was going to get shoe checked. He was a rookie. He had it ready and he's belting out gin and juice and the entire steakhouse was dying. Like they were losing. It, it was hilarious. You know, he censured himself because there were some kids there, but it was, it was great. It's just, it's one of those things that's a rite of passage. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that luckily we've gotten out of sports and gotten out of the game, hazing, all that. It doesn't belong in the game of sports, anything like that, get that out of there. But these fun little things that are innocent and um, at the end of the day, just, all in good fun and good natured or, or what makes this game so great. I, I always say, and it's been tough in this situation, but even more so just in, in off seasons, the thing I miss most, I miss the hockey, I miss the fans, I miss the adrenaline. I just miss how much you laugh in the summers. Like when you're in the summer and you don't have hockey, then you come back to the rink in the fall. I miss just how much your sides hurt from laughing from things like that, or just one liners in the locker room or these ridiculous scenarios. And that's what makes the game so special that, you know, it's not the end of the world if the bus breaks down when you're in the coast or whatever it may be. You know, just it's all part of it. You, you let it roll off your back and get on to the next day. And that's what makes, you know, working in this sport so special. And there's so many great stories that just every year there's like 15 or 20 stories that just epitomize that phrase right there. I mean, I think there's people that just epitomize that phrase. I'd say Nathan Walker, Zach Siller, that's hockey type of guys that you should have on the show at some point or another because there's just so many things that I can think of those guys that you know well, the way they play but also the way that they are off the ice that just they're the type of people that would 
do anything for their teammates, and that's what makes them that's what makes them special. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Walker is probably, uh, I mean, he ranks up there. I think for you and I both, it's just one of the most enjoyable uh, oh, personalities, one of the most enjoyable characters we've ever had the luxury of working with. Just a great human being, but oh God, were, were we always laughing with walks? I mean, oh, just geez. some of the stuff like, uh, I'll never forget. So it's one game we're in Hartford. And uh, oh, yeah. so uh, Hartford has the weird setup at the XL Center where the team bus actually goes inside the arena and it parks right outside the locker room. It's, it's crazy. So like in their large right marshalling area there. So uh, it's one morning. Uh, I forget if it was like a, an optional morning skate with about half the guys on the ice. Uh, Vitek Vanacek comes up to me and he goes, go on to the bus and get my drone. I'm like, you're what? He goes, <laughs> I, above my seat, I have a drone. And I'm like, you have a drone with you? He goes, yeah, I get it. It's like, and bring it out to the ice. I'm like, <laughs> I what? remember you flying okay. by me and go, I'm supposed to find a drone? Yeah, I know. I go to you and I'm like, there's some damn drone on the, do you know where the drone is? I don't know what he's talking about. And you go, yeah, I got it. I'll take care of it. It's like, yeah, no worries. So you go on the bus and you get this tiny, as drone that's maybe something yeah like it it maybe you want it at like dave and busters or something like dave and busters in the mall we were in providence i think before there's one in the mall that guys frequently will go to if we have off days so i guess he had won it here scarbosa one of them had won it uh at the dave and busters and i think it was a day before practice a game because i think it was a day in between so there's a little more time for fun but yeah i go on the bus and pull it out and i go I don't know where they got this, but here it is, Matt, and you're running the thing over there. You're still a rookie, right? First year. Yeah, for you, know, sure. you don't want to get chirp. You're you're booking it back to the ice to get it over there. So it's the end of practice. They're flying this drone round again. Cheap drone where it goes up straight in the air, like 50 feet, loses reception, then just plummets down and just crashes. Yep. So players are flying it straight up, and then they're trying to catch this thing like it's a pop fly to center field. They're trying to get their body underneath it so it doesn't shatter on the ice uh and afterwards like there's nathan walker in the dressing room trying to like fly this drone around and just like pissing off all the other guys with this thing right up in their face you know what i remember most about that is uh i felt kind of bad like uh, the drone was funny and no one had a problem with it because it was an off day. Our team is playing really well. That was in late in the season. That during was the, the point of when, right? Yeah, we like couldn't be stopped. Game like that was a product of it. You know, you're like, oh, are these guys screwing on? No, we were unstoppable. These guys were having fun. It was a blast. It wasn't a game day looking back. I'm pretty confident in that. But I, I'm pretty sure, if memory serves me right, it was Devontae Smith-Pelly's first day with the team. He had come in and joined us in Hartford. Um Maybe we played actually in Bridgeport uh, before because uh, whatever it was, he came and he joined us in Hartford and it was his first practice. And all I remember thinking is I feel kind of bad right now because I know he's not in a great mood to be down here. Anyone that was a hero of the Stanley Cup finals doesn't want to be in the American League. It's nothing against Hershey, but, you know, there we got the drone flying around the locker room. He's the new guy. Um, All these guys that he doesn't know are just screwing around and having fun. And we had to play a game in Hartford midweek the next day. And, you know, Hartford does a good job. I'm not bashing on anybody, but midweek games in Hartford don't draw. Um, I think they had announced a crowd of 1,800 
there for that game. And there couldn't have been more than a thousand people in the building. So yeah, uh, when you're doing play by play on a Wednesday in Hartford, it's yeah. almost like Brockmire where you're exclusively doing play by play for the 12 people in attendance as well, where they could probably hear yeah. the entire post. And we're, and we're up in the catwalk. So you, you can't even tell it just looks empty from where you are. The seats you can't see they're they're blocked off. There's no one in them. So I felt bad for Devo there that that was his first experience coming down as I kind of looked around and he was just kind of by himself and, walkers flying this drawing around but that was just that team like that team was fun that 18 19 team uh and it carried over into this past year for the bears too they had a blast and you can tell that these guys are lighthearted and, and have a really good time but i remember i took video of that clip of scarbosa particularly flying the drone and we never used it because we just we didn't have a place for it you didn't have a place for it on social when i sent it to you you were overseeing most of social at that time but you used it we kind of made a compilation of all this stuff that we had never shown and it was, I'm going to be honest with you, Matt, it was probably your, one of your poorest edited pieces that you've ever put together. It was just clips thrown on a timeline and dumped out for our girls' night out. Hockey and clip, Hills. Uh, Hockey and Hills, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the clips spoke for themselves because it was just hilarious stuff like that. It didn't even need to be edited well. No. It's like, why is Mike Scarbosa flying a drone in Hartford and then everybody's diving after it? So, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting experience. And I remember VTech coming over and chirping, you know, to get the drone when it went in the crowd at one point. And that kid's a character. I've been with him his entire career. But, you know, there, there's always those fun ones of guys just having a good time around the rink. And we mentioned, you know, the prank wars. There's so many good pranks in hockey, whether it's, you know, a cup of water under the guy's helmet. He grabs his helmet from the top shelf and water dumps all over him. Yeah. Um, oh, we, we were on the receiving end. So it was me. So uh, in the hotel room one, since we would share the, uh, the hotel rooms on the road, yep, yep. Uh, the, uh, they called a leaner, correct? That's hockey right there. A leaner. That's yeah. another rite of passage. So that is basically when, uh, so you know how when uh, you're in your hotel rooms, they have like those, uh, those mini uh, garbage bins there, usually next to your coffee table. So uh, we were, uh, we had a room next door to uh, our equipment guys, Josh and Dylan. And, They're always in the mix, eh? Of course, you know. They're just straight calling them out here at this point. I, I, uh, I take responsibility though, so I instigated this one. So yeah, uh, you know what was coming, yeah. Yeah, it, it, something was coming. I just didn't know what, and I didn't know when it would happen. So uh, they, uh, they had the room next door to us, and I banged on the door. No, I actually, I did not know they were taking their nap. So like now, like knowing that after the fact, it was like, okay, yeah, I deserve it. I was just trying to be, you know, like Josh drives the truck. He drives the truck after the game. So he needs his sleep. Yeah. So I was just trying to like be fun or whatever. And just like bang on the, on the, uh, the wall next to us, uh, separating our two rooms. Uh, so later on, just randomly, uh, leaner is they take that, uh, that mini garbage bin filled up with water. Uh, they go to your uh, they go to your room and they angle the bin against your hotel door. So as soon as you open the door, your uh, your shoes get flooded. Uh, just all that water. I did a good job. I like sidestepped it in time, so a lot of the uh, the water missed me. But uh, yeah, I do a little screamed high pitch and went, "Ah, oh, it's all water for some reason." I went, "That's the leader, my friend." Yeah, that was your payback right there. So big. Big puddle of water for you. And, of course, these guys will not admit to any of these things. So you can I say it was them all they want, but that's and, hockey. And I came so close to doing a leaner on the road. Uh, I, I probably would have gotten – maybe I would have gotten in trouble. It would have been funny. I don't know. I, maybe I should have done it. We were, uh, I think, in Bridgeport, and the Harvard University football team was 
staying at the same hotel. And the two guys in the room next to me were just absolutely, they were so loud. Like I, like I'm an easygoing guy. Like, you know, this, like I'm very relaxed. I was getting pissed off. I was like, these two guys are just, I was about to take my garbage bin right next door, just quickly run over, fill it up, clean it, bang on the door, run back to my room. Like I should have, that was a missed opportunity. Maybe, uh, maybe next time there. So, yeah, uh, it's, you know, as long as there's a wood floor and it can be cleaned up and you're not going to get charged for any damages, anything goes, I guess. But yeah, there's so many, so many unique things like that. Like just, you're speaking of hotel stories. Like we had one that was, uh, it, we were in, in uh, not Atlanta. We were in Charlotte this past uh, two years ago, maybe it was. And the fire alarm went off at the hotel at like six in the morning. And we had a flight that morning and it woke us up and we played the day before and I get out in the hall and I think it, um, you weren't there for this trip because it was a flight, so you didn't go. So I think I was with Murphy Luatua rooming with him. And I remember Josh and Dylan coming out in the hall and we're like, what do we do? Like, do we, we can't go on the elevators. We're on like the 12th floor. So slowly we evacuate. We're like, this is a drill, right? Like th this has got to be a drill. So we start heading towards the stairs after him and Han for like five minutes. And sure, just you wouldn't believe it. Up comes three firefighters. Hey guys, way to evacuate. <laughs> and we're like, what? And he's like, there's a fire three rooms down from you. Turns out someone had like lit, lit, you know, something very small on fire with a cigarette or whatever, but it triggered everything in the hotel. So we're booking it down the stairs. We're like, we just got chirped by firefighters. But we had one, two hours in the coast. And this is a good coast story. Like we had, um, you know, you only get X amount of hotel rooms in ECHL. It's a little different. So rarely do you want to, you never want to put a player with a staff member, but at that time, unfortunately we had to, we had too many players around and our equipment manager had a, had a player with him. And uh, we were in Wichita, Kansas. And the player that was with him actually got traded while we were there. So that our equipment manager carbs was our coach gets a, we get a group text. He gets a text says, Hey, we just traded this guy. Like obviously don't tell him. We'll tell him in the morning, but I need you to go to the rink and get his equipment, set it up at the hotel desk so he can grab it and catch a flight the next day. He's in the lineup for Cincinnati or whoever he was traded to the next night. So this equipment manager like had to be like, hey, I'll be right back and sneak out and go pack this guy up at the rink. And I always went and helped him with this stuff. So we go and pack this guy up. And he's like, yeah, this guy's my roommate. So come to find out in the morning, he comes back up and is like, hey, Johnny, I guess I just got traded. I need your equipment. He's like, sorry, man, I already knew. Like it's the front desk. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was kind of awkward. It's just, you never want that to happen, but it's the ECHL had limits to stuff like that. But you know, the, the ECHL, the cheese toast, they call a bunch of weird things. Like that year I had was probably one of the closer knit teams that I've had. We had Trevor Gillies on our team. Trevor Gillies is an animal, great fighter, wild man. He called himself that he called himself the train self-proclaimed train, the wild man. He was hilarious. And he was about the nicest guy ever off the ice. But he was so intimidating on the ice. Played with the Islanders for a bit. Spent a lot of time in the ECHL. Worked his way up. Had come back down to the ECHL with us. At the end of his career. But man, did the guys love him in the room. But he'd just sit there and yell stuff out like, "We're bringing schools to the village, boys!" And you're like, "What is that? What does that even mean?" Or just "Juice, juice, let's go!" Instead of just "LFG" or whatever, he just yelled "Juice." That was his thing. But our guys had so much energy for him. He was at the end of his career. He didn't play much, but 
he was around and he would sit up front with us on the bus sometimes with a sleeper bus. And he would just tell stories from when he played in Russia and they were just unbelievable. Um, I'm sure he's been on podcasts and stuff. Look him up. He's about the, the best guy that you'll find. He's retired now, but he went and played a couple more years in South Carolina and just a great dude. But you know, my first day in South Carolina rivals any first broadcast technical issues or whatnot. I get to South Carolina, my big break, ECHL, Rob Kincannon had hired me. And I told this story on the Stingrays podcast, and I know Robbie was dying, but uh, his name is Kooks because he's, they called him that because he was crazy when he played. He was a guy that would fly off the handle, but an exceptional ECHL player, um, really good guy to work for, um, demanded a lot of you. But if you liked, if you loved the game of hockey and you worked hard, you were on his good side. Um, you know, he was learning as a boss at that time. He didn't give a ton of direction, but he really respected me and I respected him for that. Uh, but first day I get there and he comes in and I get to the office at nine o'clock and everybody's there already. And I'm like, Hey, Rob, and takes me back to his office. And Spencer Carberry came in and introduced himself. They were headed out to the league meetings and uh, were coming in the office real quick and met me. But then uh, I get at my desk, I get my computer set up and I hear, hey, we're going, to, uh, we're going to one of our fans' houses to throw some stuff out. And my first thought is, wow, that's a really cool thing. We're going to a season ticket holder's house, and we're going to come in and, like, throw them T-shirts or something. Like, we're going to go to a neighborhood. We're going to throw Stingray stuff out, like a little caravan or parade. No, we're going to this lady by the name of Miss Eleanor. May she rest in peace, who um, Rob was very close with. He was actually – her power of attorney was a lifelong Stingrays fan since the team came in in 1993 – Rob was her favorite player, didn't really have much of a family, uh, and he wound up just having this great relationship, but she was moving into an assisted living facility from her home, and I had no idea. I didn't know her at the time. I'm in a suit on my first day, no tie, but I'm trying to make a great impression. It's Charleston in August. It's 99 degrees there with humidity, and we hop in a car with my coworkers, who I haven't said more than three words to, and we go to this house, so this little old lady and sure enough, I got to throw out all sorts of garbage and I get assigned to work on the shed. So I'm in a full suit and they, I said, is there a pair of work gloves around here? Cause we open up the shed An animal had chewed a hole in the shed and gone in there and defecated all over everything. So it's covered in animal droppings. It's a bunch of stuff, heavy pavers and landscaping stuff it hasn't been touched in years dusty dirty and i'm like well i'm taking the suit jacket off let's go i gotta make a good first impression i gotta you know first impressions like you said i gotta show that i'm working hard well rob knew we were doing this and changed like into a patriot shirt big pats fan boston guy in shorts and i'm like dressed like that i'm sweating bullets it's so hot we get done with it rob was great enough to buy us lunch when we're back in the office but my wife texts me, hey, how's first day going? I'm like, well, we just threw at this lady's house, throwing stuff away, not your typical first day. Then Rob calls me, he's like, hey, sorry, that was kind of unexpected. Uh, but I want Graham, who works in Hershey now, Graham Jenkins, works for Great Save. I want him to take you over to the arena. I want him to show you the arena. We didn't work in the office or at the arena like we do at the Giant Center. So we went over to the North Charleston Coliseum, and Graham was relatively new. He'd only been there two months, so maybe not the greatest guy to, to give the tour, but you know, he gives me a bit of a tour, but he didn't know how to turn the lights on in the building. And the lights were off. So I'm like, hey, where's my broadcast booth? He's like, I'll take you up to it. Well, the broadcast booth is not a booth. It is the first row at the North Charleston Coliseum, building not built for hockey, so it never was added. 
the first row of the upper level in the middle is has on the railing they put a table on it and you sit in the first row of seats row two they do not sell because that is where you put your stuff behind you, your book bag and whatnot all your notes row three is season ticket holders you're right in the mix of all the fans it was actually a great view and kind of cool i didn't know that at the time but i get up these stairs i'm already sweaty the rink feels cold that's nice i get up these stairs to get up there and there's no light so i trip on one of the stairs i fall down to my knees i cut a hole this big in my brand new black pair of dress pants i just got back from the tailor day one covered in sweat rip pants get back home it was like an hour drive back to my place and my wife's like how's your first day oh not what i was expecting um let's get the hockey season but i loved every minute of my time in charleston it was a lot of work uh, but i wouldn't be here without it uh, getting to be in the organization was great the capitals were awesome to work with we had a really good team we should have won the kelly cup there um, btac was one of our goalies uh, he was 18 he didn't speak any english and i remember you know, Vitek Vanacek starts in goal. I think we lost his first game 6-0. And he wasn't good, but the team was all – we didn't have a good game. We played Reading and we got walloped. And I remember a kid, again, just three rows behind me, uh, his seats. And I remember a kid yelling, go back to the Czech Republic after one of the goals he gave up. I'm like, good God, this kid's 18. He doesn't know a lick of English. But Vitek settled in, was unbelievable for us. But I had a heck of a time. It was a very too, with Vitek. So I remember yeah. – um, 2016 Kelly Cup playoffs. So yep. while the Calder Cup playoffs in Hershey, the Bears went on their run to uh, to win the Eastern Conference, and South Carolina was going on a run simultaneously. There was a game. It was a game seven. No, where um, what was it? Mark Dekanich as the other contender yeah. in VTech, and and Dekanich actually got hurt. Was it in overtime? It was in overtime. So we were playing Adirondack. A uh, heck of a series. Uh, with Adirondack, um, the PR guy there and the broadcaster now in Ontario in our league, very good guys. But Adirondack was back in the ECHL after being an American League franchise forever. Um, their games there in their building were insane atmosphere. Series that was just a bloodbath. Fights, brawls, guys just going at it. A lot of hate between the two teams. But we get into game six. Um, and we were down in the series going home for six and seven. We win game six. There's huge fights at the end. All the momentum's on our side. We blow them out. We get into game seven. And Mark, the goalies had alternated a bit, but Dekanich had grabbed the job. Former AHL All-Star, played one game in the NHL, went through some injuries, so unfortunately never panned out the career he was supposed to have. Was at the end of his road, was finishing up in the coast at that point. Uh, really good for us with VTech. Great mentor to VTech at the time. I think those two guys still keep in touch. But Dekanich is playing really well. He starts game seven. We get into – we tie the game in the third period and we go to overtime. And Dekanich makes a save and goes down out to his right and goes down awkwardly and doesn't get up. And I see it – the play goes up the ice. I see him getting up slow. I, I don't remember what the injury was. I think it was a groin, but he was out. He, he couldn't play, and he gets taken off by the trainer. So Vitek comes into the game cold. In overtime, I don't think he had played since either the last round or very early in that series. So he hadn't played in a bit. Comes in, makes a spectacular save right away. They get a power play. Vitek was sharp, and we wound up winning the game in double overtime. Joe Devin, who is a prolific overtime scorer, clutch player for the Stingray, scores the goal. And we went on to play Wheeling in the next round. And, of course, the bad blood between Wheeling and the Stingrays, again, that's Pittsburgh and Washington. Hershey, Wilkes-Barre, Wheeling, South Carolina. The proximity isn't there, but the bad blood is. And 
we went to a seven-game series with them, and unfortunately they beat us. But I will never, ever stop being bitter over the fact that there was not video reviewed then in the ECHL in overtime of game number six with the Stingrays leading in the series, chance to win the series. Uh, it was David Pecan kind of wedged the goalie and his pad into the net. So maybe there's some controversy to push the goalie's pad in. But Brian Foster was the goalie, and there was this much white ice between um, the goal line and his pad, which was completely in the net, and the puck was underneath his pad. The referee is a very good one. Pierre Lambert, who's worked in the NHL, he does NHL games, uh, didn't see it go in. There was no video replay. We wound up losing the game and then losing the next night in game number seven. Otherwise, we were going to the finals, and I think that team would have won. Uh, it was a great team, and I know, obviously, the Bears went to the finals that year, too. It was a great year for the organization. So, um, how, so many stories in the ECHL. You know, the bus broke down a few times. We made the best of it. There was an earthquake uh, while I was in Wichita, Kansas, at the morning skate. Felt the whole building shake uh, while I was there. Um, it, just so many good stories with the guys. And Natural disasters yeah. seem, like, seem to be like a Hurricanes, earthquakes, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in Tornado Alley in Kansas City. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Thank God no one I know has ever been affected that badly by it. But one more story from the coast. And, Everybody in Washington has heard this. So obviously training camp, Washington does a great job working with their affiliates. South Carolina's equipment manager, South Carolina's uh, trainer get to come up, as do the Bears, and help out. You or I were there um, helping out with anything they need and taking it in. They're always very welcoming. So Rick Kovard, who now works at Arizona State, took a job there, longtime trainer in South Carolina. Awesome guy, one of my favorite people, Ricky C., uh, he and I roomed together besides him snoring like a Mack truck on the road. Unbelievable dude. Um, but he loves his pizza more than I love my pizza. That's saying a lot. I've had to lay off that stuff of late. But uh, he, he loves his pizza more than I do. We're in Norfolk. Great building. Great American League city. Um, unfortunately, it's not what it once was. But we're in Norfolk, their first year in the ECHL. And I just got a new pair of dress shoes. And they were half a size too big for me. And I was tripping on the toe all day so ricky and i are walking out of the building he gets done with treatment i wait for him we win the game we're walking out of the building he's like let's pick up a pizza i toe pick at the top of the stairs in the scope in norfolk and i go stumbling like in slow motion when someone's falling in slow motion and you can't help but watch and just laugh i go stumbling in slow motion and i catch myself with my hands this close to face planting into a beer stand on the concourse and rick looks at me are you drunk already Oh, man, these shoes have been giving me problems all day. All right, well, let's get back to the hotel. So we walk, we get a pizza. I'm carrying the pizza. Go back to the hotel. We run into a couple of our guys walking back. They had gotten dinner. So we're walking with them. And, of course, clumsy old me, they had – it was dark, no street lights on. They had trees and tree roots growing out of them. Who catches their too big shoe on the tree root and goes absolutely flying through the air? Me. And I go down, and David Pican was there, one of our players on the team. Um, and he's like, oh, hey, fishy, fishy. It wasn't shark at that point. Fishy, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And Rick was behind talking to somebody and didn't see me go down. He's like, what happened? They're like, oh, fishy tripped and fell. He goes, oh, my God, is the pizza okay? I'm like, oh, my, Rick, the pizza's fine. Nothing happened to it. But that's the story that he tells everybody in Washington. And I think Josh Carter's come up to me and goes, I just heard the pizza story again that time that you totally biffed it in Norfolk because that's Rick's go-to story. Um, but 
man, my time there was fun. We had a blast. And that's, that's just hockey right there. I too. think it's I only, so yeah, I think I only ate it one time in my five years in Hershey. And that was not uh, on the ice at season. Yeah, night. That was for a uh, season ticket. Slightly bigger scale than with five people walking back in the middle of the, you know, at 10 PM in Norfolk or whatever it was, you know, just a couple thousand people there making an impression. And it, it was amazing because like, so uh, you know how for that night they bring like the couch out onto the ice and, and Jonesy does his thing. He interviews. Yeah. So I tripped over the carpet. I think it was, I think it was Bergdorfer on the couch at the time. And I went in to the couch and he just like, heard it like he just felt it he just felt the impact and I just like bounced back up I'm like okay we're fine we're fine here yep. just like keep going on like I, I can hear it. I can hear like a dozen people that were just in the seats just like scattered around just watching they just saw it and I could just hear the holy crap it's like boy he went for a little tumble there but down he goes yeah I, I remember hearing about that you're a trusty film like no I missed it the soup was it. fine. I think Wags almost fell over laughing. I remember looking at the bench and there's Scotty Allen and there's Wags in absolute pieces over on the, the old bench. Mike Wagner, our, uh, our strength and conditioning coach, another another great guy. But I mean, yeah, yeah, everybody everybody was there. Certainly, certainly saw it. It's just oh, that's the best thing I think about coming to the rink. And we're lucky in the jobs we do. It's a lot of work. And, and anyone that is listening, watching this far into our conversation. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Hershey fans. A lot of this is relevant for fans in Hershey. If you're not a fan of Hershey, you know, some of these nicknames you might not know, but this is pretty typical anywhere where coming to the rink is a blast. It's fun. You laugh. You have a great time. You have great camaraderie, great relationships. You know, we're not a player. We're not friends with the players, but we have these great relationships with them where they treat us well. We treat them well. They know we have, we have their best interests in mind and they treat us with respect. And we're all there for the same goal of, winning games and positively promote positively promoting these guys. And we, we have this great camaraderie and it's just such a fun experience, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. You know, you're working pretty much nine to five every day in the office already, plus hours outside, plus three or four games a week. Um, and then you think, Oh, well you take Monday off, right? If you have a three and three, the team's off on Monday. No, the coaches are still there. We're still in the office. We might come in a few hours late, but we were still in the office. You know, we still got the name of player of the week. Um, nominations for things still have to go in. The league might name their players of the week. We have to get ready for the next week. Updated stats packets have to be sent out. So it doesn't really stop in a season. And it's a lot of long hours. Um, it's not being able to go home. If you're someone like me that doesn't have family in the area for holidays, it's a sacrifice. And a lot of guys in our positions uh, or sales or whatever, you know, they don't last because the money necessarily at lower levels, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, isn't the greatest. If you don't wait it out, um, you're doing a lot for a little and you're sacrificing a lot. So, you know, I always say guys like the equipment managers, the trainers, um, even the coaches, you know, they get paid a little bit more, but they're the unsung heroes because they put in so many hours that people will never see outside the games, outside the practices, you know, whether it's the equipment guys that are there four hours after the team left unloading gear and we get to do some of that and help them. But, you know, they're the real ones that kind of are the heartbeats uh, of the team and make things go and don't really ever get fully appreciated. But it's such a fun thing to work in, but it's this unique fraternity or sorority. Um, we have so many women in the game now, which is a great thing. Uh, the more the merrier. It's great to see grow and Hershey continue to grow that as well. 
um, the more that we can have in this great game and expand it to just being this big, all-inclusive thing is going to be exceptional and is exceptional with the strides we've taken, but still a long way to go um, just on an entire sports scale, not hockey, not Hershey as all, just entire sports scale as a whole. But we have so many good people that we work with that, that makes it such an enjoyable thing. But, you know, I, I wouldn't trade for a bit. I've been doing this 10 years now. Um, I hope to do it a lot longer until I'm bald, uh, until I'm old, until I'm wrinkled. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, that's for sure. And it's the, the moments like these that, that make you laugh. And this podcast, man, I think it's great what you're doing. I don't think uh, we're ever going to get to be the spit and chicklets type of type of guys. No. Probably, I mean, at least for me, you're not going to get that uh, PG-13 R-rated content. I'm, I'm sure still a PR to... guy, so yeah, I still yeah. do have to behave myself on here, tell stories, spitball a bit, have some fun, get some good laughs in, but yeah. always have to have that PR mindset but, going into it, which, you know, it's important if you're able to kind of incorporate that and engrave that into your, into your mind. But you me. built a good network of contacts, I think, particularly for Hershey and American League fans. At first, this is going to be a great start, and it'll grow into continuing being a, a hockey thing where you get to hear great stories from players, coaches, staff members, managers, uh, whatever it may be, general managers, whatever it may be, uh, from different people around the game uh, and their perspectives of it. And there's going to be people on that are a lot funnier than me that are going to be having you laughing. You've heard most of these stories. We shared an office. So this is a lot of this isn't new information for you. You've probably heard me tell it five times uh, before you heard it today. But that's what I think is fun is that everybody brings this unique perspective, but at the same time, there's a lot of common bonds that go into it. And that's truly, that's hockey right there. The name of it all in all is it's just this fun place to be and for the game that we love and a special group of people. That's what makes hockey great. It's not the most popular sport. Um, it's never going to be football. It's never going to be baseball or basketball. Uh, but to me, it's the people that are humble and great to work with that really make it special to come to the rink every day. And there's a lot of uncertainties right now for you. Obviously, what's next? This is kind of like uh, you and me one last time, and then you spread your wings and go on to, to bigger and better, hopefully uh, with you no longer being with Hershey, which was certainly difficult to see, and, and we'll miss you. The door's still open maybe down the road, but at the same time, you know, I think you got a bright future, and someone's going to be lucky to, to gobble you up. But you know, we're, we're waiting to see what's going to happen with the hockey world, what's going to be next. I'm enjoying watching the playoffs right now, but at the same time, uh, we're all chomping the bit to get back to it because things like this, uh, I miss more than, you know, any game or anybody scoring a big goal. It's, it's the behind the scenes stuff and just the day-to-day -day nuances that make the game special. So speaking of big goals, uh, you and I were broadcast partners for games on the road. You would do play-by-play. -play, I would do color commentary. Uh, favorite game in your mind that you and I did together? Um, there's a couple that I would say game five in Bridgeport, certainly um, the circumstances around that one were, uh, you remember I was sick as a dog and barely had a voice, but I got through that game and I think you saw me for hours on end. I had a little personal humidifier that I brought with me. There was like a steam machine that I was breathing into all day, all day. I, but you heard me in the morning. I couldn't talk. And I put something out like, hey, sorry, fans, I'm not 100% tonight. We all got to battle through. I just remember Ole Kolzik relentlessly ripping me. All you got to do is talk. These guys got to play. What do you mean you're not? A, come on. I'm like, Ole, like, it's, you know, it's hard to talk when you're sick. You know, but I just didn't even waste my breath on it. I love Ole. He's another one, man. You got to have him on this thing. He's, he's 
full of awesome stories. One of my favorite people in the game and a really good heart and a great goalie and a better person. But uh, he's giving me a hard time. We get up there and I get my voice through enough, but in between periods, I'm puffing on that thing. You're running intermissions, but we get through the game. We won the game. I remember you threw your headset down when Brian Pino scored and booked it and went and did the Facebook Live. But, you know, for that team that was in last place and we're thinking, oh, man, we had a last place finish the year before, to do what they did and then get to be there calling on that game with you was a lot of fun. Um, the other one would be the game five win against Lehigh Valley as well. Uh, my first year, your first year working with me, it was a great game uh, that we pulled off against a really good Lehigh Valley team. But the other one too, and it's, it's not a meaningful game, but the uh, outdoor classic alumni game, we, we broadcast that, that. We broadcast that on Facebook live. We had a ton of viewers, one of the most popular things the Bears have ever done. Unfortunately, we can't stream games on Facebook. We're able to stream an alumni game there. So much work went into that. And uh, I don't know if it was that morning or the morning before, but Matt will get an occasional nosebleed every now and then. They seem to have seem to have cured themselves since you lost some weight. So maybe that helped for whatever reason. But uh, Matt would get an occasional nosebleed. And, um, of course, you know, running back and forth, uh, you had one and the game notes got some on there and you brought them, brought, come over to the rink and go, I got to go back, don't I? It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I drove your car. Oh my gosh. During the, that weekend of the alumni game and the outdoor game against Lehigh Valley, how many oh. times did I have to drive your car back and forth from the stadium to Giant Center to go to our office and make copies and make prints and just. Yeah. And we didn't have a printer there. We didn't, we didn't have a lot of stuff there, but such a memorable experience. And the, Alumni game obviously started it off, but we had some big names playing in it. You know, Ray Bork was playing in it. And then the Legion of Doom line from the Flyers. And those guys got there um, right before the game. They arrived, uh, black car, and they pulled up, and they went right in and did a press conference. And we arranged for them to do a press conference. So getting to do that and set that up. And, you know, I, I haven't met Eric Lindros and John LeClaire and Renberg before. Um, you know, I had met Ray Bork before, but all those guys go in and they do a press conference and then getting to call a game with so many legendary NHL, but Bears names too, and see the fans wearing the jerseys of a lot of these guys that were their heroes now coming back and playing. And the hockey was good. It was a good game. The Bears won it. Um, the fans were in a good mood and it wasn't as packed as it was the next night, but uh, the feedback was so positive. Fans getting to watch this reminiscing about players from the past. For me, I love being a sponge. As much as I invest in my job about knowing the history of Hershey, I can always learn something. So that day I was just learning stuff from people left and right, from players, you know, Mike McHugh or uh, all these guys that were coming back and playing for the first time in forever or had played in 2013. So those three for me are the, are the top three, certainly. You know, there are some other ones that I'm sure we had more memorable one-liners. Um, uh, you know, Matt's very deliberate in the way, you know, you know, you're very either excited and you talk really, really fast or you right. talk very slow and yeah, deliberate go in between. And you're trying to make a point. Yeah. I just, for whatever line in my head, and one thing that I'll say every once in a while, like I'll be playing with my kid and, you know, he'll hit his head on something or we'll toss the ball and he'll miss it, hit him in the face. And just remember we have that double doink goal in Lehigh Valley where you're like, right off the old cocoa bean there or whatever, when it hit Alex line in the head. I just remember thinking, I don't know where he pulled that line from, but you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure you won't miss your couple of naysayers that you had that came out every now and again, but um, it was fun. It was good to have you. That was, that was never planned was to have you on the road, but obviously it, it worked out. You're doing a lot of other things and um, probably be doing the games myself on the road, which I have plenty of experience in um, did some this year as well. And we'll continue to bring a high standard, but yeah, we had a, we had a lot of fun. 
doing those. Yeah. But a couple playoff wins and uh, and that alumni game. Those and, those are my top three. Yeah, games. and hell, like I mean, even uh, so. When we met and when we were, we just started out working together. And so I was, uh, I was brought back for an intern, a second, uh, as an intern for a second year, which was your first year to just kind of help. Uh, so Scott Stuchio, uh, the former play by play voice of the Bears, he's still a good friend of mine. We had lunch just about a week ago. Great guy. Uh, he's, I worked with him in South Carolina. So I was, you know, I was devastated to see the news when he left, reached out to him and, you know, never yeah. did a million years think that I'd be, following him up. But Stushi and I have done lunch too. Um, and I think that, you know, meant a lot to both of us because there's no ill will towards either of us uh, of anything. And I always admired him as a broadcaster as well. So, um, you know, he set the foundation for you being here and for, yeah. for that, so, that I'm very thankful uh, for him in addition, everything that he helped me with when I was first starting in pro hockey with the Stingrays as we worked together on a lot of stuff. Yeah. So like, it's crazy how it happened where I was uh, an intern when I was 19 years old, I was a sophomore uh, in college and it was just a, a generic game day internship where you assist with the execution of in-game entertainment with any corporate sponsorships, uh, in-game promotions that go on uh, during the course of a typical game day. Uh, Scott Stuccio, I had done some work for him in the past just to help him out on the side uh, with his broadcast or from a PR side. So when I was eligible to uh, apply for the internship that year, he lobbied for me and he pitched the company, hey, let's try to hire this kid. Let's try to bring him in as an intern. So the company hired me as an intern and Stoosh kind of took me under his wing where I helped him out a lot with the PR side of the Bears. And when Stoosh uh, wasn't brought back, uh, I thought, well, that's it for me. You know, like my in was through Stushio. Uh, but I mean, it turned out because your hire in Hershey was so late. Uh, they wanted to bring me back as a second year as an intern just to help you from a PR side to say, here's how things were in the past. We can make changes on the fly moving forward as we see fit. But here's an idea just in terms of here's a baseline of how things were so we can kind of just start here. Uh, then it led to you uh, lobbying for me to be brought back uh, for a third year in total uh, as an intern uh, for a brand new intern role created that would solely be for PR to help you out. Uh, you had been unbelievable to me where I was commuting from Shippensburg to Hershey for each and every game. So uh, you with your, uh, your house in Palmyra, you had a guest bedroom and you said, stay overnight, you know, like stay over at my place. And so you and I stayed uh, together at, at your place where we would uh, prep together for the next game. We would get a head start on game notes, go to the office uh, together the following morning if there was a, a Saturday, Sunday back-to-back -back, both in Hershey's. So, uh, I mean, you had been nothing but gracious and a class act to me and so instrumental in helping me grow as a professional, but also making my life easier just from – being a great person and doing the little things uh, such as having me over. Uh, so then it led to, uh, you know, you pitching to the company that, hey, this should be a full-time position. Other AHL teams, they're moving towards a two-person PR department rather than just a one-person broadcaster runs the entire show. Uh, and you got to make that phone call about two years ago in 2018 that it was happening and that uh, I was becoming full-time. Uh, and it was awesome. So, I mean, it, it all kind of just stemmed from just building relationships and just doing it the right way. And, uh, you know, just kind of embracing who you're around and who you work with in hockey, because with all the time that you spend 
uh, working in hockey with uh, with the staff. Like it's a second family, honestly. So like uh, the best thing you can do is just embrace the people that you work with and uh, just do your best, no matter what, to to like them and get along with them. Because I mean, yeah. that's your family, so you. That's what you got to do. You don't really have a choice. Yeah, I think Mike Lang said it in an article that he wrote. You got to be a good person. That goes a long way compared to anything. And, you know, I appreciate those kind words, Matt. And I feel the same way uh, about you. We, uh, you know, we've been on long enough. We could sit here and sing each other's praises. But there was a time that I remember um, in my first season. And for fans that didn't know, I've, I've explained this a little bit. But I came in. I was the broadcaster. And I was supposed to help assist with game notes. That was it. I wasn't supposed to be the PR guy. I wasn't supposed to have any hand in anything else. I was supposed to be the play-by-play broadcaster, and I was supposed to help with home game game notes. That, that was it. Um, and there was a lot of things that went out in that time of transition that went out incorrectly or did not work out um, when there were some other people that necessarily weren't hockey-first people that were doing it. And at the end of the day, you know, I think people thought I was doing it because Scott Stuccio had done it and done a very good job with it. So my name maybe got dragged through the mud a little bit for that. Um, and it's not a big deal. At the end of the day, you know, that's fine. Only myself, my bosses knew what I was doing and that I wasn't the person that was doing those things or in charge of them at the time. But about December, um, come to find out, I, you know, approached our people and about, hey, I've done some PR stuff in the past. I'd like to help a little bit more. There's some things that I could see that we could do different. And it wound up midway through that first season, slowly getting transitioned over to me by year number two. Um, then it was my department. And you were there as an intern, as a game day intern in that second semester. It was kind of a prep to see, hey, could you help out if we expand this to be a different position? Because it was supposed to be a two-person operation. Me, the number two, this other person, the number one. We make me the number one. We need number two eventually. So it's a little bit of a trial period. You came in and helped out with a lot of stuff. But, you know, I, I want to take on a bigger role, not really in the social media side. That's always been done by, by others, uh, but chip in a little bit more right now in the times of the pandemic and help out there. But as far as the PR goes, and, you know, I think we have Patrick Williams from NHL.com. He's very complimentary of the work that you did uh, in the press box with the media and helping them out. So, yeah, it was a fun, fun couple of years. I'm excited to see what's next for you. Um, certainly our fans in Hershey, uh, we're glad uh, to have you for a few years and they'll enjoy to listen. They'll enjoy listening to this and many other stories that you'll have to tell from people that have been involved in the game uh, with some of the other great guests you're going to have lined up. Um, they've listened to you and me probably talk uh, more than they ever thought they would. Uh, but uh, now I think they're excited to hear some of the guests that you have coming up uh, in the future. And I appreciate me being guest number one for you. And yeah, this, this game's all about the people um, and it's all about the memories. And I have a lot of them in my decade doing it. I hope there's many, many years to come. And for me personally, I mean, the goal for anyone and everyone is to make it to the National Hockey League. I know that takes time. If John Walton did uh, double-digit years in the American League with time, between his time in Cincinnati and Hershey, and he's one of the best in the business, you know, I'm in no hurry to, to go anywhere. And I know that's a difficult step to take. Uh, and if I was in Hershey the rest of my career, this is a pretty darn good place to be. It is the 33rd now uh, National Hockey League team, the way that we're treated, the way that the fan support is, our radio network, the coverage that we get. Um, it's extraordinary and blessed, lucky to be here. Bears fans are unbelievable. Um, and getting to work with you in, in, for four years in it was a lot of fun. And we have a lot of other great people in our offices that we get to work with that we didn't mention, the people behind the scenes on the fourth floor that I'm sure will kill us for not mentioning their names and that, that do a lot of stuff that we're really close with. But um, it's, uh, it's a treat, it's a joy, it's a lot of work. Uh, 
it's led to a receding hairline. It's led to a lot of extra pounds that I'm working to get off my body. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, I wouldn't change anything for it because it is uh, truly a special game that we're a part of. And I can't wait to listen and laugh to future episodes. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so many great future guests lined up for this show. So could not have asked for a better first episode. I think it's only appropriate, like I said in the intro, it's just poetic justice, in my, in my opinion, to have Zach Fish, the voice of the Bears, on for this very first episode. So do want to take a moment and thank you for listening. You can watch this podcast on YouTube or online at mattctrust.hockey. That's my personal website. And you can listen to this podcast anytime, anywhere on demand, on Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Podbean. So until next time, Zach, once again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Matt Trust. Thank you for tuning in to the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Join us for our next show where you can hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders and say, that's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Thank you for listening and please have a great day. Oh,